Well, beloved, good morning. If you have your Bibles open there, we're going to camp out in 2 Thessalonians, um, but it's helpful to remember that we're in the series on the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians. And so far, we've looked at love, joy, peace, and good. And so today brings us to great. Good to see you all awake this morning. That's nice. Now, saying something that is good can mean that it is useful or that it's made well. Um, someone can be good can mean they, they are capable or worthy. Good being, can be used objectively or as, as opposed to evil. But importantly for us, when Paul uses goodness as a term, he uses it in a way that implies a positive moral quality that is characterized by having an interest in the welfare of others. You could think of it as having like an uprightness of heart, but closer to kindness than, than righteousness. So what we're talking about here is when the Spirit works in us, He produces a character that is concerned for others. And there's also an element of, of integrity and honor there as well, as, as we want to allow that moral quality to, to affect how we pr our practical experiences. Now, it doesn't mean that we suddenly become these little angels, like God infuses us, us with one of his attributes and we just become objectively good. Instead, it means that God is at work reorientating our hearts from being bent inwards to themselves to looking up to him and outwards to others. The Spirit producing goodness in our hearts makes us want to do good. And we've always got to be careful to say these things, that these good works, they're not the basis for, for our faith. They're not the things that make us Christian. God doesn't accept us because we do good works. But because he has called us, he transforms us so that we then go and do good works. You can think of it like the goodness is the fruit, not the root of our faith. So that's the concept that we are thinking about, that goodness cultivated in us makes us interested in the welfare of others. The Spirit changes our affections so that we want to do good. But it's helpful as well to see how that plays out. So this morning we're going to go through 2 Thessalonians to find out the ground for goodness and then the goal of goodness. So the ground for goodness, where that goodness comes from, and the goal of goodness, what it is directed towards. So read with me, would you, verse 3. We ought, to thank, we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. So what we have here is the fruit of the Spirit is being seen in their lives. God has added to their faith so that it is flourishing, so that it is wonderfully growing and producing in them this love for one another that comes from the Spirit working within them. And of course, the implication is that this love that they feel for one another is visible. It is shown in their actions to one another to the extent that other people notice and have told Paul how obvious it is. So they are demonstrating this, this outward orientation of the heart, a concern for others that must have moved beyond their, just their desires to their actions as well. Goodness is being produced in their hearts and in their lives. And this is what gets reported to Paul. 
But we should also note from verse 4 is that this fruit is being produced in the context of persecutions and sufferings. This isn't a, a circumstantial or a cultural faith. It is forged and refined by fire. Now, last week, if you were here, a speaker at the Worldwide talked about the Christians in Nigeria, always in danger for their faith. But the amazing thing was that they were happy even in that danger because of what God was doing in their hearts. God is being so good to them that even the threat of death can't destroy their joy. And in contrast, whatever the truth may be, we can easily slip into the trap of thinking that Northern Irish Christianity is largely cultural rather than authentic. And the reason that we admire one and disdain the other is that in one we see faith flourish in spite of circumstances. And in the other we think that faith only appears to be there because of circumstances. We know that where goodness is grounded in cultural expectations or where it is just produced by social pressure, it just seems a bit cheap. But what we see here, what Paul is so thankful for is that the fruit of the Spirit is being cultivated in them even as their outward circumstances seem really dark. The soil of this fruit is not what is going on in their lives. They're not showing goodness because they had the right parenting or the best education or the good opportunities. That's not the ground for their goodness. Paul goes on to show us what is. Look with me to verse 5. All this, meaning the faith and the endurance and the sufferings, all this is evidence that God's judgment is right and as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God. What Paul is getting at here is that their endurance shows just how precious the kingdom is for them, which in, which in turn shows us that they have received Jesus as Lord. So their, their endurance doesn't force God's hand. God has already acted, and their reception of that grace makes them able to endure. So in commenting on their endurance, Paul is really noting here the goodness of God. And so what we can take from that is that the ground for their goodness in their hearts is the gospel. It is the love of God overflowing in their lives that makes them then love others. It is the saving knowledge of what God has done for them that provides the joy even in the sufferings. It is the experience of God's power that brings them peace in the storm. It is the knowledge of God's victory that allows them to be patient in their suffering. And the example of God on the cross that inverts their hearts so that they are concerned for others. The difference between someone who just seems to be really nice and someone who has the Spirit cultivating goodness in their lives is that the Spirit-filled the spirit person is reacting to what has been done for them. They have this inherent interest in others because the gospel message has transformed them and how they view other people. Now, I could go from here and preach a sermon that says, be good, be generous, be kind, be hospitable. 
I could give you all kinds of applications about how to go and be good. And all that I would be doing would be leveraging social pressure to get you to conform to some kind of external moralistic behavior. Years ago, there were movements that tried to get people not to drink alcohol. Great movements with really genuine concerns and good aims. And yet it didn't last. Maybe some of us are teetotal, but the wider culture has embraced binge drinking like it's a national sport. The ground of the desired behavior in those movements, the ground of their good works, was in conforming to some kind of social ideal. Think of our brothers and sisters in Nigeria, or Afghanistan, or North Korea. Do you think that they risk their lives trying to evangelize because some preacher said that's a good thing to do? Do you think they are trying to be good and conform to an image of external moral piety that someone has shown them? No. External moral change is not a fruit of the Spirit. Lots of non-Christians do good work. But the goodness that Paul is talking about here is far deeper. It is a goodness that is grounded in the truth about God. It is a goodness that goes beyond moral conformity, a goodness that shines in the darkest of places, because it is a goodness that stems from an identity in Christ. They react as they do because union with Christ produces in them a new heart. We often hear, think like moralists. We have this good desire not to sin, but just like the Pharisees, we try and reach that goal by conforming to new laws and different safeguards. Some of them wise, some of them not. But when they are driven by social pressure, what happens is that there comes a time when that pressure wears off and our motivation to conform dries up. But the desire for sin is still there waiting to pounce. Think about kids that go off to uni. They might have conformed all their life, but if, if it is just external morality, then the freedom from parents, the, the pressure to fit in, and the temptations of this world will just create this, this pressure cooker that's going to blow all of that out of the water. It's every parent's fear, isn't it? How do I raise my child? How do I pass on the faith? I look at my two, Grace and Jonah, and I just want to do everything that I can to protect them, to stop them from making bad decisions. Or if I'm honest, at other times, I look at them and just want them to do what I tell them to do. Either way, through fear or exasperation, our hearts are so easily moved trying to control external moral behavior. But if we want our kids to be good, we need to go after their hearts and not their ability to behave. We don't need them to get them, we, need, we don't need to get them just to conform to a standard. We need to get them to love that standard. And the same goes for all of us. If we are trying to put some sin to death, trying to make some good habits stick, we need to take a step back from the behavior for a minute and look to our hearts. So men, why do you watch porn? 
Or why do you let your eyes, or why do your eyes wander to that person you pass on the street? Or maybe you don't struggle with that. So here's another. Why do you grumble? Why do you complain? Why do you hoard money and not help the poor? Why don't you evangelize more? Why do you judge people? Why do you spend so much time on social media and not being present with the people around you? I don't want to guilt you. I'm trying to get us to see that we do these things because our hearts are naturally thirsty for sin. But just taking away your internet connection so that you don't have the opportunity to sin doesn't give you a clean heart. You could be as self-controlled as they come, but, if you th- but think of the difference that it would make in your life if you simply no longer craved that thing that you hate. What our verse shows us is that the only way that we are ever going to see real change is if we ground our behavior in the gospel, if we ground our pursuit of goodness in God himself. And that is going to mean a consistent pursuit of of time with God, of reading his word, of praying to him, of meditating or journaling or whatever practice that works for you. If you currently don't have a practice like that, just try it for me this week. Take 15 minutes, get get up early 15 minutes or spend 15 minutes before you go to bed or over your lunch break and then tell someone how it went because we can't do this on our own. We need community, people who encourage and remind, who can point out the root issue that we can be blind to. So why not join a discipleship group? And I'll I'll say this specifically to young adults. Discipleship groups are great for older people, but they are practically crucial for us. If you aren't in some form of community, please consider it so that you can begin that deep heart work that will bring about change in your life. How much of our time and energy do we spend pursuing career goals or social goals or personal goals? How much time do we spend pursuing God? I want to thank God for you like how Paul does. Not because of your good works and they're helping people and because the church looks great. But I want to thank God because of you. Because we can look around and see that our action and our behavior isn't grounded in social pressure and things of this world, but that we are all living in step with the Spirit, having all that we do flow from our relationship with God regardless of our circumstances. That's what goodness looks like for the Thessalonians, an uprightness of heart and life that is grounded in God and the gospel. That's the roots the thing that provides the energy for action. But this verse also points us towards the goal of that action, the goal of goodness. So look with me to verse 11. Now, in, in the first part of the, part of the verse that we read out, Paul opens up with, we ought always to give thanks. And everything after that you read up until verse 11 is just one sentence in Greek. So all that we've just said stems from this opening clause. And then in verse 11, it starts with a new thought. With this in mind. So with all that we've just talked about in mind, knowing that the Spirit is producing fruit in their lives and they are grounding all that they do in God and His gospel, Paul says, we constantly 
pray for you. And you can circle or highlight the three contents of that prayer. We constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling, that by his power he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. Now, these three phrases roughly describe the, the, the same thing. Paul uses being worthy of the call here and other places to say that they have been called to holy living. So live as you have been called. Not that they can fall from salvation, but, but just saying that you understand what the gospel has done for you, so live like it. Similarly, bringing, the fruit, bringing to fruition your every desire for goodness is saying that Paul prays that the concern for others that the Spirit is producing in their hearts will lead to action. That they don't just want to help people, but that those desires will be realized. Their lives will reflect their heart's new orientation. And the same is true for every deed prompted by faith. Do you ever have those wee urges to, to do something? Like you're just feeling convicted to, to act in some way, to pray for someone or to do some good work. Well, here Paul is praying that God will work in their hearts so that those moments wouldn't be passing thoughts that are filled with regret, but would move from desire to deed. So in all of this, Paul has directed them from an internal faith to one that overflows from the heart and reaches out into action. Paul is praying that their faith wouldn't just sit with them, but would send ripples to the world around them. Knowing that they understand the ground of goodness, Paul prays that they act on it. I wonder, does that sound like your experience of faith? Or has your spirituality become such a private thing that the only impact it has in your life is attending on Sundays? Yes, we are here to be blessed, but this is not a spectator sport. Yes, we want to enjoy the music, but, but Mark isn't here to entertain us. Yes, we want to learn the doctrine and Bible, but it's not to pass some kind of test. It's so that we would love God more and to be able to serve him as he deserves. So if you're really listening, not, not to me or not to Christoph, but if you're really listening to the Spirit, then you will not be able to just sit back and let these truths gather dust in the recesses of your mind. You will need to let them mold you and shape you and affect how you live. Paul prays for them what your pastors pray for you, that you would see the glory of what is set before you, that you would experience the Spirit molding your hearts and affections to such an extent that you are moved to action. And why? Why, why have goodness? Why orientate your hearts to others? Is it so that you will all start volunteering and, and going and changing the world? Verse 12, we pray this, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified. Here's the reason for that prayer. The reason that he wants their faith and, and the goodness in them to overflow to the world around them. Not for a nicer place to live, not for higher moral standards, not for personal gain or, or individual betterment, but why? So the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified. This is all directed at God's glory. 
holy living, not for personal security, but for the glory of God. Goodness, not for social credit, but for the glory of God. Good deeds, not for any gain, but for the glory of God. Just ask the persecuted church if the goodness that God is producing in them is making their lives easier or harder. Even here, ask the businessman if goodness helps them get ahead. Anyone who still thinks that Christianity is about conforming to a moral standard and being good little boys and girls needs to understand that this goodness is not dependent on our circumstances. And it's not about affecting our circumstances. It is all about the glory of God. We will grow spiritually to the extent that we can understand and internalize that man's chief aim is to glorify God. We will grow when we understand that external change is not the goal, it's the product of the goal. What we want to get here and now is God himself. So this week, consider what your goals are. You can write them down if if it helps. And then consider if they are directed at the glory of God or for your own glory. Maybe you'll need to get a new set of goals. Maybe not. But what Paul is praying for the Thessalonians, what the Spirit has recorded here for us, is that the goal of our goodness, of our interactions with other people, is the glory of God. Goodness is a a moral quality directed towards others, but through this case study, we have seen that it is produced by God, and ultimately it is cultivated for God. So for all of us, it comes down to this. Are we acting as we do because we are trying to conform to social pressures, grounding our goodness in the things of this culture? Are we acting in a way to achieve some personal goal, making the goal of our earthly action our own gain? Or are we acting in a way that stems from God's goodness and is directed towards his glory? Are we allowing the Spirit to produce in us an upright heart that's concerned for others? So whether you've been a Christian for for five minutes or 50 years, you, just like me, have to come back time and time again to the gospel. We have to be conscious of our heart's urge to act from worldly motives and for worldly goals. And so we need to be relentless in seeking God in all that we do. I'm going to ask the the band to come back up now, but throughout this series, we have been asking if we are willing to let God change us. So consider, are you willing to set aside your motivations so that you can be fueled by God himself? Are you willing to set aside your goals and what you want to achieve so that God can achieve his purposes in you? Are you willing to let God move your faith to action for his purpose? glory. I pray that you are. I hope that you see how great it is to trust in the Lord as our hope in life and in death, that all you do comes from his goodness and flows back to his glory. So if you're able to respond to that now, I'm going to invite you to stand and we're going to sing of our great God, 
our hope and our goodness. So brothers and sisters, let's stand and let's sing.